The self is not a fingerprint. Our psychological identities are not fully formed upon our entry into the world. Hello listeners and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast hosted by myself, comedian Akinomo Bitan and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers and we squeeze them for their best bits so that you, the listener, can get all of the goodness without having to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan? Hi, Akin. Hey, hey, hey. How clean and symmetrical would you say you are? <laughs> okay, now you're, you're just getting loopy. It's like, where have I woken up? <laughs> In this study that we're going to look at today, it's going to deal a lot with how we see ourselves. You could think of it as like the story you tell you about you. And whether or not who we think we are changes when we think about other people. <laughs> Which is really funny. And in one of these many studies, I think, folks, there's going to be about eight of them. So this is going to be a jam-packed log jam of a show. In one of them, they, they have people rate themselves relative to the Empire State Building with terms like clean and symmetrical. I just had so much fun with that. Anyway, let's introduce uh, and kind of give a shout out to the paper itself. Super. The paper is titled Simulating Other People Changes the Self. And that's it. It's like the cleanest title that I've read on one of no these papers. Colon, yeah, nothing. They're no just follow like, up, hey. no byline. Well, they make up for it in the actual... All the, yeah, all of the words that were missing in the title, they more than make up for in the eight studies that we later dive into. So we're going to give a shout out to Megan Mayer, uh, Zidong Zhao, and Diana Tamir as well. Thank you very much. This paper is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is arguably... I'm going to put in like the top three in terms of papers that we've we've kind of read and discussed without discussing it yet. I'm going to say this is top three because what they're asking here is this fascinating question and it kind of lends itself to a lot of old wisdom as well. So when you hear phrases such as like uh, uh, imitation is the best form of flattery, birds of a feather flock together, uh, show me your five closest people and I'll tell you who you are. What this is doing is it's actually suggesting and providing evidence that scientifically there's a lot of truth to a lot of what was observed through, I guess, us socializing with one another. Yeah, yeah that's right. And um, I was thinking of it also about the relative nature of self. It's really close to what you just said, but to put a slightly different lens on it, who we think we are depends a whole lot on who we're comparing ourselves to. Yes. It's almost like a relativity theory of the self. Some, You know, it's like um, Cooley back in, I think, 1902 had this phrase, the looking glass self. And it's this idea that the way that we learn who we are is to think about how other people would see us. It's the idea that we don't really have, in some ways, specialized insight into who we are until we think about how we would fit into a social world. It kind of drifts into philosophy yeah, a little as really well. really quickly. Because you could ask the question of, who am I as an individual if, I, if there's no way 
I can compare myself to someone else. Yeah. Like, if yeah. there is nothing that differentiates me from anyone else, yeah. is there anything That's that right. does indeed make That's me special? Right. Right. And they do use the word special in this study a few times because it, it points to the uniqueness of us all as individuals. But it also suggests that that specialness is something that we have a an interesting relationship managing, should I say, um, so yeah, so this is all based around this idea that this this sense of self is 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 critical to the. I can't remember which philosopher it was who said, "I think, therefore, I am." It's called. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was one of the. It wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> I don't think it was. I don't think it was Digger. But um, but yeah, this idea of like what it, what makes what what does what does make being human special yeah. and unique yeah. and so this is going to kind of delve into how we interact socially with others and as dan joked as well it's also how we perceive things it's incredible to me um, and and folks if you're um if you're kind of just wondering about this word simulating it's in the title I mean, let's just read that title again not the whole thing because it's <laughs> simulating other people changes the self the idea okay so what do we mean by simulating other people that's a weird thing to say i don't think that normal people think that way like let me simulate you <laughs> it sounds vaguely obscene hey that's how i was that's how i was picking up in the early the early 2000s <laughs> But it does it does lean into this this idea of like of empathy as well. When I was thinking about it, it leads into this idea of empathy. In order to understand someone else, you you have to simulate how you think that they would behave, respond in certain situations or scenarios as well. So we, we kind of do this to help us, I guess, navigate That's socially and interact with others That's where it. we want to be a bit like, well, if I use this kind of language, how would that person respond? Yeah. If I talk about this, I don't know, um, political or emotional issue, how would they respond? And we'll simulate that in our, in our minds yeah. and then we'll use that to engage with yes. other people. One of the things that I loved about the studies lead-in, kind of the introduction is how they went through and talked about some of the things that we already know so for example one of the things that we already know is that when we hear new information it affects old information that we thought we believed so just as an example we know kind of for a fact that if you read fake news it even though you know it's fake it changes what you used to think. And you don't really try to change it. It just bleeds toward a different reality. Here's another thing. We know from past research that when we simulate other people's mental states, as, as uh, Akin said, when we try to have empathy for somebody, how somebody else might handle a certain situation, we first must access our own self-knowledge. Those are both really interesting because if you put them together... It means that when we simulate how other people would feel, that constitutes information that then might affect who we think we are. And that's the novel insight. This is pretty zany I know. already. This is like super zany because what we're doing now is we're, we're meshing. We're meshing our understanding of reality based on what goes on in our head. So based off of what goes on in our head, we're creating narratives 
And then we're now using that to navigate very real spaces, scenarios, events, and circumstances in real life. Yep. So just off yep. the top, hey, we all kind of need to go. We kind of need to go easy on one another yep. because, like, if we didn't do this, it would just be ultimate chaos. Yeah. Like, if we never took a second to try to to simulate situations, like even when you're in a queue for, I don't know, like a. Uh, if you're in like Subway or Pret or something, you're anticipating what the the server is going to to ask you. So you're running these things in your head and then you interact with them based on expectations. So maybe the last few times I've gone to Pret, hey, how may I help you, sir? Uh, um, uh, have you decided what you want? If all of a sudden you now go there and that individual has just absconded with all of the rules and then they just kind of throw like a, a curveball at you... <laughs> Like you're just like it's gonna fluster you in terms of how you you're engage that script. Is that yeah, what you're yeah. Um, I think that that is related, but a little bit different from the way I was getting this. Let me let me put something out here. The script is kind of like a social norm that the people play, almost like a mask that you put on. What I'm so fascinated about this is within one human's brain, as you just said a moment ago, we build a narrative about how the other person would respond to a situation. It's almost like when you take the mask off the person, who are they really? Mm. And so I'm seeing it slightly different, but I mean, it is still something that facilitates human interaction and, wow, this is really exciting for me, too. It may be that we're the human, I'm sorry, we're the species that does this. Um, if you went back and looked at the references, and, you know, you probably didn't because it's so <laughs> long already. But I went and looked at a bunch of the references, and where a lot of this seems to be happening is in the prefrontal cortex, which is like the part of the brain that's uniquely human. It looks like even, for example, elephants, really, really smart animals, or dolphins, or apes and chimps, they don't seem to have this bolt-on technology called the prefrontal cortex. And it's like a simulation center. Some people even literally call that part of the brain a simulation center. And it's almost like this is the thing, the simulating others, that, and then building narratives about it. This is the thing that makes us human. It's like part of being human. I find that to be... I don't know. I mean, so interesting that you almost, I almost can't put it all in my mind at yeah, once. Yeah, it's, yeah, this is what I mean <laughs> like, when I say, I have a hard like, time putting me, it yeah. all in my brain. No, this is, yeah, this is totally what I mean when I say this is like, like totally one of the top three studies that we've covered and it, it gets zany. So like the studies, they look, the studies are looking at memory. Uh, we're looking at traits. Uh, but it also, the study also looks at time as well. So like how much time, I guess is required or is relevant for the effects to kind of still be in place. Yeah. So they look at a very short time span, but we can kind of use that to kind of elude or assume other, um, uh, other conclusions. They also look at language as well and our desire as humans for social connection as well. So what we can do that is we can spend a little bit of time mm -hmm. talking about study one yeah like the methodology it, yeah because yeah, yeah, we yeah. can really get into the method of what it is that they're doing because what that then does is when we now start i guess touching on some of the later studies hopefully for the listeners it should be a bit easier like maybe four or five and six we can just start <laughs> there's yeah through. there's some we're gonna have to just kind of like just ping out there and there's just some good humor in them that i'd hate to not shout out like, <laughs> totally. oh my gosh oh we have to yeah oh we always gosh. have to factor in time i'd almost like tangent. trim a couple off if we could have some fun with okay um 
One last thing before we dig into the methodology. A little while ago, Akin used the word special. <laughs> and the sense, uh, the sense in which this study talks about the self being special, they don't mean like each of us is a special, unique flower. <laughs> you know, the way that they're using the word special is that the self is a knowledge structure that seems to be distinct from other forms of knowledge. Like, we hold it in our brain in a special place. And I love this phrase. Information that relates to the self is deeply encoded and tightly stored in memory. Oh! I mean, that's poetry! I'm touched! It's magnificent, and... (laughs) It's almost like, for a human being, what a self is. This story about we tell ourselves about ourselves, it's like, we hold that over here. We don't put that with, like, the grocery list and, like, what movies are on on Tuesday. You know, that's information that's not so special. This is like a special vault with, like, super locking mechanisms, stickiness. They literally talked about, like, memorial stickiness. (laughs) I love this stuff. And that's going to be really important (laughs) as we go through some of these studies because... What they're alluding to when they reference, you know, stickiness vault is that there will be some elements of what we retain in our heads that are easier to, I guess, manipulate, shift or converge with other ideas than there are others. So there'll be some things that we know about ourselves and our life experience that it would take a lot of brainwashing, you could say, to try to convince us of otherwise um, so, yeah, the first one was looking at, at memory and they were kind of testing um, a couple of questions. And it was this idea of when we are simulating others and when we are incorporating information um, about others, what is that kind of doing with our, our self-knowledge? And then also it's asking whether our self-knowledge itself, as I just alluded to, is immune to such misinformation effects. Um And it's funny to call it misinformation, but they do it consistently. And I think all they really mean about this is it's misinformation in the sense that we all know that them isn't you. You know, if you think about your good friend, we all know that's separate from you. That doesn't mean you have to change who you are just because you're thinking about them. That's the sense in which it's misinformation. And um, what they did, you know, it's really, let's just kind of walk through it at a top level. They went out and got 185 people on this thing. By the way, are you confused at what Amazon Mecha- Mechanical Turk is? I'm you, not. No, I think we... You know what yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, we, we discussed it on a pri- it's such previous a funny one, word. Right? Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is like a, it's a, an online system that just general people can sign up to. That's it. And you have the opportunity of now engaging in these online um, research, research investigations. Yeah, research, making a little bit of money, maybe yeah. a dollar. You know, yeah. So, so they end up yeah, building this yeah. massive resource of individuals, That's so it. they can like, I guess, post it like a Gumtree ad, yeah. and be a bit like, "Who would like to make X amount of bucks?" Yeah. Okay. Good. And so, at the top level in this first study, then um, they would basically say, like, "Remember a time that you got some good news." And then for each of these experiences, they had 21, like 21 positive, 21 negative ones. For each of these experiences, like remember a time you were embarrassed, remember a time you were really happy, participants had to think up how they felt during those events. And to be honest, I think we need to really dig into how they reported how they felt because it turns out to be super important. Very. You could even say, folks, listeners out there, that the method is everything. Yes. Because if you don't buy the way they assessed your thoughts about yourself, 
then the results are meaningless. So let's dig in. Let's talk about like how they used a scale. Do you want to say anything? Yeah, there was one, one of the things I really loved about the scale that they used. So the question that Dan asked just now, remember a time you received good news? So there would have been 21 questions in that similar vein. So they would have described these as being, I guess, of having like positive values. Uh, and then there would be 21 which were, were negative. So such as remember a time you went through a breakup, for example. So there'd be 21 good ones. So this is quite a lot as well. Like, a lot of just work. jumped online. I hope this is more than a dollar. <laughs> like, but they never did. They did not. In this one, interestingly, they never said what it was, what they were giving participants, which I found interesting that they omitted this. But just as an individual, if I had signed up for this, emotionally, this is quite a lot. You've got like, you're swinging because they're putting the questions in random it's orders a, it's as like well. therapy. Yeah, so you're swinging <laughs> through like, you know, when, like, you know, what was the, remember a great time that you had with your, your, your mother. Oh, remember the time when your dad let you down. And you're just yes, like, yes, you just yes. swing. I was just making those up, by the way. Those weren't official questions. Close. But you're swinging yeah. through like emotional states. But what they also did, which was fascinating, is when they're asking them to, uh, to, to register how they would feel on a scale, there's no numerical numbers there. So they're just doing it from, I believe it was from extremely not extremely negative extremely. to extremely positive. Ah, here we go. Extremely because negative to extremely these positive. These are affective reactions to that situation. And like, even though your dad lets you down maybe you don't feel extremely negative so what i was thinking of it now listen i can be wrong about this because they did not say what the real numbers quote unquote were under it there had to be real numbers under this thing but they did is they used a little slidey scale and that was for the, the so what they wanted to avoid the reason why they just had the uh, the sliding scale what they wanted to avoid which was really smart was when you go through these, even if it is like 40-something questions, you might start remembering ballparks of where your reactions were based on numbers. So you might have said, okay, then with some of the mother questions, I remember answering between like four and six. So if you're now later going to redo it, just in terms of, I guess for myself, like I would like to be consistent in my behavior. So when I later revisit those questions, I'm going to be trying to match them so that there's consistency in my behavior. So they removed that entirely yep. the first time yep. around. Good. So that's a big deal, folks. Just the idea that it was uh, a not anchored scale that went from extremely negative to extremely positive on these different things. The next thing that I think you need to hear is that they had people rate themselves on these dimensions, these experiences, at the very beginning. And then they had them think about how other people would respond to that. Now, those other people in this very first study might be somebody that's pretty familiar to you and pretty, I think they said similar to you. I think they wanted, I, so this is what, where it gets a bit messy with eight studies. I believe this may have been the one where they even used the name the second time around. Yes. They so had, they had them write down an actual person yes. that was kind of similar to that. Yeah. And that was in terms of like values, yeah. beliefs, yeah. possibly other things like um, interests yeah. or like. So, so say like I was going to do this, I might put Akin down and then I'd say, how did, how would Akin have felt if his dad had let him down that way? Nice. That would be like a specific thing that I would do. And then this is kind of funny for some of those I would say, how would the average American respond to their dad letting them down? And that's kind of interesting, and that's kind of weird, because that allows them to do this um, this test of, will Akin affect 
who I think I am more than the average American would affect who I think I am. Because at the very end of this whole thing, folks, after I've now rated Akin and how I think he would respond, and then the average American, it comes back to me and said, now how did you feel again when your dad let you down? And so right there, whether or not you buy this, listeners, it's, it's a pretty big deal because, you know, to be honest, when I finished the first study, I wasn't that convinced. When I, when I finished study, when I was like, oh, that's just like an artifact that you used a scale, you primed people, and then you remembered. Like, I wasn't, to be honest, very impressed yet. Yes. By the eighth study, <laughs> I was pretty convinced. I mean, they, they really led me. They led me to water. They yeah. really led me to the oasis. But um, I just want to put out there that um, I can. I'd be really happy to hear how you responded. But this methodology right now is hinging on so many assumptions, like a memories. B how you felt about the memories. C on this very specific scale. D that you did two different times. You know. It's a lot. And on that specific day? All of that put together. It just felt to me. Okay, now, folks, listeners, here's what they actually did then. They computed what are called different scores between how you rated yourself at the very beginning and how you rated yourself at the very end. And then they compared that to what you thought these other people would have felt. And they basically looked to see, did you move toward them? Because you thought about them. Did I get that right, Akin? I, that's, that is how I understand yeah. it. And I think just a bit more in terms of the method as well, because there was something they did which was really valuable. So when they asked them this initial 42 questions, so the next phase, when it was with someone who they have a similarity to, it would have been 14 questions, with half of them being positive, half negative. Then when it came to the average American, and wherever you are in the world, maybe the average German or the average Australian, you then kind of compare yourself again, 14 positive, 14 negative, and you're comparing your your answers to what you believe that they would feel. And they left 14 blank as well, which is really important as well, because with that 14 blank, what you could do is if 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 that 14 blank later when they redo it is distinctly different from what they originally answered with like no interference whatsoever it kind of am i getting this right it kind of like suggests that maybe the individual Chained, was just yes, like random clicking or like random like yeah. yeah so it gives you i, yeah. I believe is it, does it give you like a bit of a, a like a control measure or a bit of a neutral or I, I guess what it does is it lets you compare and learn from that comparison you know like for example let's put it this way if some of them are how you thought about Akin and how he would have felt, and some of them were the average American, by contr- by looking at which one of those moved you more, you can gather insights about whether somebody close to you would change your personality, you could say, relative to just thinking about a general person. So it gives you insights into it. And in this case, um, here's what they found. They found some initial evidence that while the self may be special – it nevertheless is susceptible to these misinformation effects and more so for similar others. So it may not sound like a lot to you right now, but A, it moved consistently, it moved toward other people, and it moved even more towards similar people. So right off the bat, that is at least interesting 
because you really could have seen the opposite, which is like it just didn't move at all. It was all random noise. You thinking about them didn't affect you. So that's pretty cool. And then I just took a closer look. There wasn't a big difference. I don't know if you looked at like the y-axis, but if we're assuming it was a 1 to 100 rating. Now, listen, I don't know if that's true or not true. I think it is, though. The difference or the change is if it's um, like the average American, you know, maybe that would be a a 12 or something. No, um, a 9 in terms of like how different you are from them. And if it's somebody close to – no, the opposite. It would be like a 12 if it was the average American. It would be like a 9 if it was somebody that you knew quite well. So in a 1 to 100 scale – I don't know. That's not a huge difference. It's not like you're swinging your personality around because you thought about this other person. Uh, yeah, because this is it. With with eight studies as well, it did start bending my brain because I believe <laughs> it, it totally did. Because I believe that I believe with some of the earlier studies, they were saying how the the lack of difference to a point was like a a good result like it it got pretty zany it got yeah. pretty zany well i think that part of what made it and i mean truly confusing like even <laughs> even right now that we're focusing yep. on this point right now in this study yep um what i'm finding is like the y axis the thing that you're really looking at it's not the score they gave it's the difference it's the absolute difference across all of these like 21 different insta- in, um things that happened and it's your rating of how you felt about them the difference between your own rating and what somebody else you think somebody else would have put so there's a lot to keep in your head here at yes once. yeah it really is yeah and just to i guess to to kind of like jump in as well um just uh, on that kind of like measuring the differences there is a line that they say where it says smaller values indicate greater similarity between the self and target as this means that there is a smaller discrepancy between the self and the other so that the, the way that they're kind of like measuring this does make sense but when you tie it in with eight other studies yeah. where they're using slightly different measures which do make sense in themselves but holding them all up in the air at the same time wow. is like wow ah, it's a lot to keep burst. on but i think that if um you know we're already kind of tw- you know 20 some minutes into this thing and we're in study one but i think that it's really important that if i was listening to this i'd really want to get a sense of study one before we kind of rolled into the others and so like to kind of summarize a little bit who you think you are at time one and how you responded to these different situations and how then later on how you respond to those same situations and in between how you think other people would respond to those situations. That's really it. That's really it. It's not, it's not that complex. I think it gets complex when you start like having to average across 21 things and other Americans versus your particular friend and all this stuff. It just gets more and more and more complex. But the takeaway to this first one, I want you to hear me say really clearly is it did move. It moved consistently, and it moved a heck of a lot more for the similar other than it did for the average American. So that's the dismount from kind of study one. Super. Okay, let's move into study two then. What 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 we want to talk about here is... Personality traits. Yeah, much better for me. Yes. Much better for me. So yeah, so what the... the I guess the idea here is that if you have a, a personality trait, this should be built into your self-knowledge to a point where it shouldn't be as susceptible to misinformation effects is so this this is what they're looking at here so they they use a very uh, similar uh, model 
but they're looking at actually qualities. So this could be things like, you know, how charming is someone, uh, how reliable or unreliable are they? So once again, you're going through these as an individual. And I believe there were 60 traits. And I believe this time around, they were looking at not at all to extremely in terms of how well do you relate to these traits. Now, here's where it gets really wacky. They wanted to take a look, not at the average American, but a specific American. And so they picked Walter Conkright. <laughs> Tell me, because, like, the name's so familiar. Oh, my the God. The work, not so this, much so. I, you know how you put LOL, but a lot of times you're not laughing out loud. I laughed out loud when I saw Walter Conkright's name. Like, I grew up with him, like... On the TV, I think he was like ABC News or something like this. He was, you know, basically a, um, you know, kind of American news anchor. And <laughs> I just can't, I can't imagine picking him. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't, I mean, listen, this study was published like this year. He was like active in the 70s. Like, Nobody knows who Walter Conkright is. You may as well just said the average American. It doesn't do any good. Well, what was interesting as well is, because I believe they had similar concerns, because what they did is I believe they had like a picture and a small bio. And so everyone who agreed to engage with this had to have, it's like you had to have an awareness of who yes. Walter Cronkite is. pick somebody everybody knew? You know, like... They do like to make things difficult for themselves. Pick Madonna, you know, like... (laughs) Well, thinking about... Oh, yeah, I guess... Pick somebody at least some people know. Anyway, I'm not going to go too much on. Uh, They picked Walter Cronkite, and that's fine. It's it's fine. Um, In the end, the more important thing isn't Walter. It is the fact that it's now personality traits. And now we can start jumping through hoops quicker here because they use the whole same methodology, and they replicate it as Yes. That's that's essentially all you need to know is that in a very, very different – now, we're not talking about how you felt about stuff that happened. We're talking about do you think you're reliable or not? Yes. And that really helped me. I mean, even by the end of study two, I was now intrigued. I moved from skeptical to intrigued. The whole notion you confirmed it. And now in terms of the differences, again, they're not big, everybody. We're moving from a difference of 17 to a difference of 13 for similar other people. Okay. Yes, it's consistent. Yes, it's predictable. It isn't much. You know, we're not, again, I don't want anybody out there thinking, like, my personality wouldn't change just because I thought about my buddy. It really kind of would, but not much. It probably already has, which is what I, this was the real value that I saw in some of these studies, is it made me start to really consider this idea of the people that we choose to regularly engage with, uh, discuss with, open up to. What is what is their personality, their characteristics, their history? What is that doing to how I understand yeah. myself? Yeah. And when we look at it on a, a smaller level, your identity, like as an individual, can be very much, a lot of it does uh, take place internally. So you start thinking about, well, how is my family structure yeah. influenced me, my family unit? How has yeah. that influenced who I am? Yeah. My, my friendship. Uh, my place of work. And then you start looking at how we're able to now start applying certain characteristics or traits Mm -hmm. to entire Mm -hmm. regions. Like there's characteristics that we could say, that's very London. 
or we could say that's very Newcastle, that's yeah, very Edinburgh. That's interesting. And so I then start thinking about you can do the this. same with people. Kind yeah. Of. Like, sometimes when I get into trouble, like with the police, I think like, what would Akin do? <laughs> Run. <laughs> See? See? <laughs> so I'm starting to take on, starting to take on the Akinness. I call it the Akinness of the whole thing. Anyway, okay, so let's move uh, on to the next study. Um, and this one was this one where, like, rather than looking at just personality and looking at reactions and so on, on this one, it's physical traits. Which is phenomenal because wow. it's like, wow. And this is where we get to this stuff about, like, clean and symmetrical. And yep. I was like, do I think that I'm symmetrical? Like, that's not a thought that I have a lot. Like, if you asked how tall I was, okay, that's fine. And yep. How big is Empire State Building? Taller, you know, is the answer. It's like, how symmetrical am I? Well, let me give that a think. You know, I wouldn't say that is a special knowledge structure because I haven't had the thought before. Yep. <laughs> how clean am I? I have had that thought. <laughs> I, I have worked through that one in the past. But I mean, anyway, um... Long story short, this is jump straight in here. On this one, they said, all right, pick again. Somebody that's kind of similar to you. And by the way, each of these study, totally new set of participants. So this time it's like 201 people, average age is 36 years old, 101, uh, 105 females. But they all picked up somebody that was similar to them. And then he said, well, how clean and symmetrical is that person? And then the Empire State Building, what is your best guess as to why they said, compare you to the Empire State Building. My best guess, I mean, it's familiarity. It's both familiarity to the point where, you know, people have either seen enough pictures of it or at least heard it. And also it's a building. Yeah. But then it's also yeah. abstract enough where what you could do is, if you have something that's so abstract from what we know as a human to be, if you now start noticing that people are aggressively identifying with the Empire State Building? <laughs> that's a new thought for me, by the way. That tells you a lot, right? Like, you could end up discovering something uh, that's, that's, like... really funny. Totally. Okay, for, so yeah. they did find, just to, like... They actually found that thinking about the Empire State Building's characteristics, you rated yourself more like it. Statistically, significantly, but not substantially. Here, to give you a number, the gap on this particular one, would have been 35 before thinking about it and 34 and change after thinking about it. But when you got 200 people, that is a statistically significant difference. And you moved reliably toward it. And then that difference was bigger, statistically bigger, if you're thinking about a similar person instead of the Empire State Building. And there, it would have jumped from 22 different to 19 different. So the idea of, like, you became three points more like them because they were similar, but only a little less than a point more similar to the Empire State Building. Yeah, so with, so with like, with memory, with um, personality traits, and with physical traits... Where we're now at a point where we can start deducing quite a lot of information and make some confident assumptions. Yep. And so it's when I start thinking about the relevance of this. So I did mention, you know, like family, friends, um, you know, the city you live in, your place of work. There's like there's a culture there. Yep. And yep. people do become. Yep. They start to they start to molt or. What would it be? They, they they kind of bleed into it or something. Yeah, there's this where there's it's hard to see where the line is between me and my job. Yeah, me and my yeah. hobby. Yeah. 
Yeah. You start going to how the, I define me might have a lot to do with where I work, for example. Yes, and that's a, such a great um, point that you mentioned as well. Because when you do ask people about themselves, what they might start doing is referencing what they do. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask someone, oh, so like you know, like um, what's uh, uh, I don't know, you meet someone at a party, and it might be like, oh, you know, what do you do? What are you into? They'll, they'll answer it quite literally, but we don't very often, at least in my experience, ask people about who they are, mm. especially initially I might as well. start tonight. So like qualities such as like personality, and, but it'd be interesting yeah. to think like though, what they are referencing, is that based on, well, how much of that is based on their actual personality traits yeah. and how much of that is based on the people that they associate with or who they, based on like who they want to be. Because a, a later study, which we could possibly jump do, to. Oh my gosh. Do, we yeah, we, to. we're like, we have to. You know to. what, before we do that, tonight I'm going to make it a goal to talk to people about how similar they are to Walter Conkite and the Empire and State the Empire State. I think I'll make real friends. I think I'll seem like a really different sort of person asking those sorts of questions. No, you definitely will come across different. I can't wait. I'll let you know how this goes. This will be an Please do. Let's um, start just jumping through these now because I do feel like, dear listeners, now that you kind of got the method and the sort of validity, I, I think at this point they have established some validity. Now they're just starting to like mess with that. So yes. why don't we just start like clicking through yeah. these? So the very next one, as I can already kind of mentioned, is it's about those earlier ones all happened at once. What if we wait a day? Does it still last a day later? And I got to say, the, the evidence starts to come apart at the seams just a little bit. Like, first off, yes, but it's tiny now. A day later, we're now talking about the difference. Yes, it still moves toward that other person, but it goes from like a 12.9 to a 13.7. So we're really talking about subtle, subtle micro movements. And now it's not more about the similarity of the target. That falls away now. So you wait a day and it starts to kind of like shift back to some norm. But Akin made such a great point earlier, everybody. It's this idea that, but if you lived there... And constantly thought about that person. If you hung out with that person a lot and you constantly were empathizing with them, it would almost like redo it for you. It would like re-up it every time you interacted. You would become more like them again. And if you lived with them and saw them every day, you would molt toward them. Kind of like how people start to look like their dogs. Yes. A little like that. That's what got me into dogs. I grew up not liking dogs. I grew up on like this rough council estate in Hackney where people didn't have dogs for pets. It was like a security measure. Like, <laughs> it was like a deadbolt and a pitbull. <laughs> so I Same up, thing. I grew up not liking dogs at all. And then a few years back, I was sat on the train and this like this cute little puppy walks on and behind it is like this tall silver fox of a man and they've both kind of like got these like long grey hair and the, I think the dude was like a little bit stubbly and um, the, I think there was like matching colours as well like when you put those little coat things like the little body warmers a little gelée on the, the pooch uh, and the dude had like a and I just saw the two of them and I was just a bit like they're the I same thing I get it they're the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I think I get it now. Back in. This, yeah, yeah that, that was my one tangent. Take 30 seconds and say what you thought about the linguistic evidence for SI. For this. I, I was just fascinated that this technology Wow. So, I mean, the bottom line, go ahead, say, say what you think they did here. Or I can, but I mean, I, I'm 
really interested in how you reacted. So this this was more uh, instead of just kind of like measuring your memory in terms of um, you know um, positive negative. It was asking individuals to write and in as much detail as they can write and talk about and describe these memories. So what they were doing is going through a similar process, but then by the time they now get to the end where they're rewriting how they feel about certain things, they were able to run it through some sci-fi technology, which I won't even begin <laughs> to mean, explain. Some modeling yeah. thing. <laughs> and it was now matching and showing like, like, I guess visually it was able to point out where there were consistencies in changing in the language, which is very important because when we're describing our past or our memories to ourselves and to others, it's interesting to know that that experience in terms of how we remember it and how we feel about it could change based on maybe so, other individuals yes. who were there or other individuals who had gone through yeah, similar so, things. And so, I, um, like, just to kind of put one more thing on this, had this been the only study that they did, I would have been very unconvinced. When you start stacking this new methodology on top of five other studies that use slightly different methodologies, it just lends a triangulation that's invaluable. So, like, I don't really trust, to be honest, this sci-fi sorting linguistic thing where it looked at the rich language people used and it matched verbiage and text and diction. I don't really buy that on one study. The fact that they replicated what they found in the other six, it just kind of lends a, oh, yeah, it's pretty naturalistic. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, the linguistics is a field that uses a lot of tech now to sort of – so, anyway, let's just keep moving on. They basically did, in fact, um, you know, kind of re- – replicated again then we jump to the next one um they looked at liking and what they did on this one is they had them pick one person that you liked a lot and another person you didn't like a lot and what they would expect is you probably would move toward the people you liked more and they found that they found that i mean statistically significantly more change toward the people that you liked. And again, if we just look at how much difference, it was a 15.7 compared to a 17. So that's only two. But those effects were much more based on people you liked. And, um, you know, that's kind of cool because conceptually that's what you would have expected. And then realistically, that's what you found. And so again and again and again, they just are like, it's almost like in a boxing ring. Like that first little jab kind of hits you in the nose. You're like, ah, come on, I can shake that off. That ain't nothing. And then they kind of like get you in the ear with the right. And you're like, oh, well, that kind of smarted a little. And then in the teeth with another left and then the belly and your kidneys hurt. And you're like, you know what? Okay, let's stop. Let's stop. This is, this is, uh, I'm not sure it's good. You and, felt and, bludgeoned. I felt bludgeoned. And then I looked. At this point, I leave to head people. There's like three more studies. They, they really, they really, they really went to town. Like, we and to stop. We, yeah, we totally need to get out of here. It's, um, I think with kind of like closing remarks, I think there's, there's a value in here in considering who you do associate with and why. And I think there's also a value in, it might sound a bit corny, but in role models. Like it suggests here that, I guess there seems to be a value here. So it's not just what I observe, but it's how we can change ourselves as well. So the value seems to be that if we, if our memory and our, the way that we identify ourselves is influenced by people that we like and people that we are close to, 
there seems to be an opportunity here for us to improve ourselves as individuals by associating Picking better models. There you go. That's really interesting. There you Anton. go. It's a great takeaway. I'm not even going to be able to add to that. I was going to say something kind of like more flip, which is <laughs> I think that one of these researchers had a breakup while they were writing this paper. Ooh. The word breakup came up in like three of times. their yeah, examples yeah. and like in different parts of the paper. It's like, well, like say there was a breakup or something like Let's that. Let's say <laughs> I mean, someone kept leaving <laughs> their damp towels on the bedroom floor. Let's just say hypothetically every time you went to use – a coffee mug. And you're if wondering. They never put the lid back on the jelly in the fruit. It's like, oh my god, somebody's hurting inside. Somebody needs a hug. Anyway, thank you for covering this article with me. I, I really enjoyed this one. And while it was a little more intense than average, the bang was also bigger. So I, I felt like it was worth it. Oh, definitely. This is listen, listeners, we squeezed the orange on this one. You would not want to do this. You would not want to do this alone. Savor that nectar. Sorry we went on a little bit long on this one, but I hope that you got something out of it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your lives, peeps. Ciao.